0: Uh, our we continue our series this morning of uh, Just Jesus. We're working through Mark, uh, the book of Mark, and this morning's message is Lunatic, Liar, or Lord. Uh, that'll make more sense if, if you haven't read the passage. If you have read the passage, then you kind of get where we're going with this. Uh, we'll talk about in a few min- that in a few minutes, but first, our memory verse that we're working on. this. Ooh, that was quick. Uh, that we are working on this quarter. There are a couple of words out, but they're, they're easy words, so it's, not, it's okay. Plus, you might have your, your cheat sheet. Uh, where's mine? Oh, yep. Yeah. Uh, make sure you pick one up. We've got we put some more in the uh, rack by the Connection Center in the back if you need to pick one of these up um, to help you memorize it. So uh, let's say it together. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Mark eight thirty four and 35. See, one of the words was in there twice, so that made it real easy. She was nice to us this week. Don't Count on that in coming weeks. She gets mean toward the end. Removes all the words. I would say that it's loving to help you to memorize scripture. Okay, it's loving to help us memorize scripture. She's right. is still mean, right? So, <clears throat> lunatic, liar, or lord? That, that phrase is not original to me. Uh, as a matter of fact, a uh, gentleman by the name of C.S. Lewis, you might be familiar with him. If you're not even not familiar with him, you're likely familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, movies made, oh, 15, 20 years ago uh, from it, and then all sorts of things about it. That's who wrote it. Wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and mere doesn't mean uh, like it's not a big deal. It means the basics. He, he gave these, these were actually radio lectures that he gave on BBC uh, radio in the 40s, I believe, early 40s, and um, later on, uh, they were written down, uh, transcribed, so they were in book form. Lewis was a phenomenal believer. If you don't know his story, uh, I'm not going to get into it today, but he was an atheist who who set out to disprove You're like eh, that? It, it can't be that can't, Christianity can't be true. and he has chronicled his, his uh, journey from atheist to deist, meaning he believed in or theist, He believed in God, deist, he believed in some sort of creator, God, something like what we have in, in, in Genesis, but then just stepped back, you know, didn't do anything after that. And, and gradual uh, progression to. Jesus follower, believing in Jesus for salvation. And when I say lectures, you think of uh, an academician, uh, a professor, and he was those things. I'm sure he could be incredibly dry if he wanted to be in his lectures, but when he presented the faith, he wasn't. It's incredibly, his turn of phrase, he's a British uh, gentleman, so he's got these phrases that you love, and that's where I learned of this lunatic liar or Lord uh, proposition. In, uh, in his book, Lewis wrote... Look at me trying to read without my glasses. We all know by now that's not going to work. Ah, oh, there it is. Lewis writes, said, then wrote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about... Him about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis says that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg. He did not intend to. Now, Lewis wasn't the first one to, to say uh, this. Similar statements from preachers and authors actually go back over 80 years, back into the 1800s. And, and you can find parts of that sort of statement even back into the sixteen and 1500s and maybe even earlier. This is not... New to Lewis, Lewis just said it in a way that was memorable and more recordable. He said it on that new device, the wireless, uh, the radio, uh, and it could get out to so many people. Ultimately, though, it goes back even further than than the 1500s or the the 300s. It goes back to the Book of Mark. We see that this morning in the. Uh, in the, the message, the, the context of Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30. We, we see this same offering of choice, either this or this or this. you, you got to choose between the three. It's really the question every person must answer, and this morning, it's our big idea. Because he can't be written off as irrelevant or unimportant, Every person must decide in his or her heart whether Jesus is lunatic, liar, or Lord. We can't just say, well, he was a good guy, he taught some nice things. Doesn't work. I think Lewis's proposition is correct. A a good moral person wouldn't say he was the Son of God. A good moral person wouldn't Fake, if he was faking it, which he would have to be if he weren't the son of God or working for the devil, if he would fake all of these miracles, all these things, that's not a good moral teacher, that's a, a lunatic or a liar. And that's what we see with Mark. Mark presents the same proposition. It's it's why he put these stories together. Whether they happen in this exact order or not, that's why he groups them in what we have as a unit of Scripture, verses 20 through 30. Of Mark chapter 3. Read it with me. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word uh, underneath a a chair in front of you, there should be somewhere a Bible that you can use, and if you don't even own one, take that one home with you. Keep it. That one's yours uh, with our uh, encouragement to read it. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus entered a house, and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, He's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. So he, Jesus, summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So we're presented with the, the three options here in this passage. The first option is that he is crazy, he's a lunatic. He's, as Lewis put it, on the level of a man who thinks he's a poached egg. It, He he cannot think these things are true and be a sane person if they aren't true. We find out that his family thought the same thing. Now, there there are a number of reasons they could have, have thought this. This passage, they, it says in verse 20, he entered a house and the, the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. The, the, the idea in this passage, the sentiment seems to be this is not the first time he wasn't able to eat. And I believe if we read on to chapter 6, we find again he's in a position where he can't eat uh, because of the crowd. And I believe, if, if I remember correctly, that's where he feeds the, the 5,000 he this this is not a new occurrence so his family thinks if he won't even eat there's something wrong he's 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 he, there's there's too much of a focus here now let's let's talk about the family part some of your translations if you still use the king james bible it will say his friends uh, newer translations say his family the reason for that is the phrase is Jesus' people or people of Jesus were thinking this. Well, if, uh, you, if I'm talking to you or, or you're talking to me and you say, Hey, Michael, where are your people from? You're not asking me where my friends are from. You're asking me where my family is from. My people are my family generally. That's the idea behind the phrase. That's the idea behind the phrase in Scripture as well. There have been debates and and reasons for translating it, friends, because we have the dilemma of Mary. Mary shows up in verse 31. So uh, we know that because of the way Mark writes things a lot, he He makes a sandwich with his narrative. He introduces something, he talks about some other things, and then he finishes the story he started. So when he starts the story of people of Jesus, Jesus' people having this concern, and then in verse 31 says, and then his brothers and mother show up, we connect those two things. So that's why we know that it's his family that he's talking about, the phrase and then the connection. And Mary... Of all people, Mary knows the truth, right? She was told way back thirty years ago, "You're going to give birth to the Savior." You know, birth—the thing you're supposed to have been with a man to, you know, see the results of—and but you haven't. But you're going to have a baby, and he's going to be the Savior. He's going to forgive, save the people from their sins. And she sings this great hymn that we have in uh, recorded in Luke. What do we call the Magnificat? And and she gets it. She treasures all these things in her heart, Luke says. And she's got the whole 12-year-old Jesus teaching in the temple that we have record of. Remember, Mark tells us none of this. Because Mark's just getting to the point. Mark does not care about our feelings. Mark doesn't care that we're going, Well, wait a minute, but what about? He said, This is it. This is the truth. This is the pill you got to swallow. Mary... At this point, does not believe. How could she not believe knowing all that? The same way the disciples for three years will spend time with Jesus and never understand that he was going to die on the cross. When he dies on the cross, they're like, what happened? We weren't expecting that. Yet the the Gospels tell us they were told over and over, and they didn't get it. The same way that the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin... With all of the miracles, they ascribe it to Satan, a demon. He's a blasphemer. They see all the things he's doing, the evidence of God. They know the Old Testament. They know the scriptures. They know the prophecies. When Herod says, hey, by the way, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They go, Bethlehem. They know all this stuff, and they miss it. How could they miss it? How do we miss it? How do we sit in church for years and years and years, hear the gospel message, and don't respond? How do we as believers sit in, for years and years in church and hear, don't do this, don't slander, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't, and still do it? Because we're human. Mary is human. Mary is worried about her boy. He's 30 years old. How many of you, when your son turned 30, you stopped worrying about him? exactly no hands because you didn't i'm 48 i could call my mama right now she's watching hey you still worried about me yep because when i had my little gallstone thing my my the, all that business and i was losing weight she could tell watching every week he's losing weight he's sick he's she's worried mary's worried he's not eating he's got these crowds following him he's doing these miracles We know, again, Mark doesn't tell us all this, but we know from other passages, she understood who Jesus was to some extent. She's the one that said, go get Jesus when they ran out of wine. Do whatever he tells you. She knew these things. Mark's not interested in letting us know that. What Mark is interested in letting us know is that with everything she knew, she still didn't believe. She was not a follower. How do we know? For sure, because Jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. His followers were there. His brothers and his mother weren't. They weren't, a fo- weren't followers yet. They will be. That's the beauty of this passage. That's the beauty of the promise at the end. They were confused. We'll see that the scribes weren't. All right, so there's a little background for you. They thought he was crazy. He was beside himself. He's out of his mind is what Scripture says. He wouldn't eat. He was too devoted to his mission. Has any believer ever been told, well, you're getting a little nutty with your, your, your evangelism. You know, you're, you're really just a little too Christian right now. Everybody, anybody ever been told that? The answer is yes. He was, he was too driven to minister. I can't eat, I'm not going to sleep, I'm going to... What does he tell the, uh, again, a different gospel, what does he tell the disciples when they say, uh, where did you get food? Or he said, they come back and they go off to get food, he talks to the Samaritan woman, and they say, wait, did you already eat? And he said, my food is to do the will of the Father. That's what sustains him, not sleep. He gets up early to pray. He stays up late to heal. He doesn't eat. He's too zealous. He's too over the top. He's too into it. And his family is worried. Even Mary, Jesus, son, I know. Can you hear a mama saying this? I know. you got a big job to do. I mean, saving the world and all. I I get it. But you've got to eat. And you've got to sleep. His response is... Well, his response is, no, I don't. Now, were they concerned or hostile? Eh, Why not both? His brothers, well, you know how brothers are. And uh, Christy pointed out this morning something I hadn't thought about. Actually, I think she and John were talking about it this morning, that Jesus had abandoned the family. He's the oldest and we get the impression, since Joseph is never mentioned, that he's, he's out of the picture. He's probably dead. For whatever reason, we don't know. But he's not there. They don't talk about Joseph anymore past uh, him being Jesus when Jesus was 12. So at that point in this society, when the dad dies, the oldest son is supposed to take over and lead the family. Where's the oldest son? He's out wandering the countryside preaching. He's not in Nazareth taking care of the family. He has left Nazareth. So the next oldest boy is now in charge, which probably he likes, let's be honest. But he's also going to throw that weight around a little bit. Well, Jesus isn't here doing it. He's, off. he's got some Messiah complex. He's going to save the world, not right here and take care of his family. So is there hostility? Is there concern? yes. Both, Because it says in verse 21, they set out to restrain him, arrest him, take him by force. Mary was, um, you know, you can see the conversation, well let me talk to him. I will talk to him, I'll get him, he'll listen to me. And big brother, whichever one came next, or next little brother, well I'll get him. We'll, we'll grab him, and we'll take him. And I'll show big brother. uh, I'm not going to try to grab my big brother. He is still my big brother, like in years and size. He could take me, so I'm not going to do that. They were going to. They're unbelievers. We know that because of the way Mark has grouped them. This group, then we're going to talk about the scribes, and then we're going to talk, Jesus is going to answer both of them. And he's really going to answer the family part in verse 31 that we're not covering this morning, but I might mention it. You'll just have to wait and see. They're outside the disciples, they're not in the crowd in the house. And and Mark, as I said, he he begins the narrative and finishes the narrative and puts stuff in here. Verse 20 and 21, verses 20 and 21, they heard off in Nazareth. Jesus is in in Galilee, this region up along the... you got the Sea of Galilee here, and and then the region of Galilee, and Capernaum is over here on the uh, edge of the Sea of Galilee, and Nazareth is up here, still in Galilee, but not far, probably 10 miles. So they've heard, and they start their journey from Nazareth to Capernaum to come seize, arrest, take hold of Jesus. And they showed up in verse 31 not to follow him, but to take him away. Not to take up their cross, but to take away Jesus. That's the picture we see, regardless of whether verse 20 is, uh, verse 21, is his family or not. In verse 31, they're not showing up to follow. They're showing up to take him away. Now, is he a lunatic? That's the question we have to answer. Is Were his brothers and his mother and any other family members, were they right? Mark doesn't answer the question. He now presents the second question, is he a liar? Scribes show up. They've come down from Jerusalem. Even though they went north, they came down. People come down to Louisiana from New York. But in this area, it doesn't matter which direction you go, you come down from Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem's on a mountain, and that's the temple is on that mountain, so anything else is down from Jerusalem. They come down from Jerusalem because the reputation of Jesus has spread to Jerusalem and it wasn't well received. Now remember, Jerusalem is about 50 miles south. And we don't know what time frame has occurred here. We don't know where uh, we are in the timeline. Jesus has been teaching how long. We don't know. But we do know it's already gotten back to Jerusalem. And they are not happy to hear about it. One, One scholar said that what they were doing was they were sending emissaries, they were sending scouts out to see if Capernaum was an apostate city. Had they rejected the faith of Judaism and are we going to have to have an intervention? Are we going to have to do something here to get Capernaum back into uh, Judaism? It's very likely. They're going to see what... uh, What they're going to have to do, either about the people's faith or this new preacher that they've heard about. Teaching these strange things and doing all these miracles that they keep talking about. And when they get there, when the scribes get there, those accusations fly. Folks, it's a lot easier to make accusations than to deal with the content. Well, he's, a, he's, he's an idiot. Well, he, he doesn't know it. Well, he's possessed by Satan. We don't throw that one out quite as much, thankfully, but there it was. He's, he's working for Beelzebul. He's That's where he gets his power. He's, he is um, part of the demonic forces, the accusations say. What they—the irony here—I think English people, if this is the—if this is how you use irony correctly—is they're actually admitting he is doing the miracles. Oh, sure, he's casting out demons and healing people and whatever. But he's doing it by Satan's power. Let's just go back for a second. He's—he's really casting out demons. You, you, we ask, how could Mary know everything she knows and still not believe at this point? How could the scribes, how could the leaders in Jerusalem see what Jesus is doing, knowing very well he is actually doing it and admitting out loud that he's doing it, but not see that it's from God? I don't know. Same way I'm stupid. Same way I don't see things that are clear and obvious sometimes some days a lot of days same way i can read scripture and go yeah but because i don't want to do what it says do or i want to do what it says don't do because i read it and go but but you don't understand this time you don't understand how i feel you don't understand what i'm going through etc 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 and that's what they do they acknowledge he's doing the work but they give credit where credit isn't due. He is uh, possessed by Beelzebub. so he is not even. He's he, basically they're saying, "Oh, I, we agree with the family here." They didn't know the family thought this, but Mark does. Mark's saying they agree with the family. He's not just crazy; he's possessed. And then all these good good things he's doing, yeah, like it's good to cast out demons. Morons. Yeah, it's good to cast out. But anyway, he's doing these good things, but it's only because he's got power from the prince of demons, from Satan himself. The family and the scribes actually begin in the same place. They both begin at unbelief they come to different conclusions the family comes to the conclusion our boy needs help and we've got to go help them they are confused concerned but confused the scribes he doesn't need help as a matter of fact is it going to be too long before they start talking about killing Jesus. Hmm? They already did. That's right. Oh, yeah, beginning of chapter 3. I think. Yeah, beginning of chapter 3. They begin to figure out ways to kill him. And then the, then the scribes show up from Jerusalem. So they're not thinking about becoming a follower, clearly. They've got other intentions. So their, 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 their uh, conclusion was different. He's demon-possessed. He's working for Satan. The family, he's crazy. But they both start with unbelief. They saw the miracles. They heard of the teachings and then heard the teachings. And one said, lunatic. And one said, liar. Which one's true? Neither. Neither. Number three, he's Lord. He's Lord. And he doesn't just come out and say it, because Jesus, he he begins by coming out and saying it, and Mark shows this progression maybe even better than the other gospel writers. He starts off saying it clearly. What's the first message we see of Jesus in uh, chapter 1, verse 14? Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. It's a very clear message. Well, the more the... People reject him the more he speaks in parables. And he begins to teach so that his followers understand more than the outsiders understand. He still brings outsiders in. Outsiders still get it. But his message becomes less um, in your face. At least uh, about himself. Some of his responses to the Pharisees are very in your face but he doesn't have time for them anymore to try to get these folks who have proven they don't believe and don't want to believe. He is focused on the ones who do. And he says, not lunatic, not liar, but Lord. And he doesn't even answer the lunatic question. He answers them in verse 31, or rather, uh, verse 33, 3, I guess, is where he says it. Yeah. He doesn't answer the lunatic. He just answers, You know what? You're telling me my family's here? I'm telling you, my family's already here. My, my family are the ones that, that follow me. It doesn't mean that they're not my brothers. It doesn't mean she's not my mother. But Jesus, the relationship with Jesus, comes before the relationship with family. Praise God if the entire family is on board with following Jesus and taking up his cross, as our memory verse says. But if they're not, then it's the family that gets left behind, not Jesus. This is my family, he's going to say. But that's not today's message. He teaches in parables, says, yes, it's Lord. But let me, let me tell you why it's obviously, I'm obviously not a liar. He says... How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. Satan wouldn't undo his own work. That just doesn't make logical sense. In, in In a war, in a battle, If you take up, if if you defeat your enemy to a certain extent and you uh, take over the land, you're not going to, by choice, for no reason, give up that land. Yes, there are strategic retreats, but you're retreating. You're not going to then send in, all right, we've taken this land, I have a great idea. Let's send a battalion of our people to kill the ones that have that land so he can have that land again. That doesn't make sense. You, you've got the land. You, you don't kill your people. You, you push forward. You go further. But you don't fight yourself for the same ground you have already won. Jesus says a kingdom fighting itself will lose. He uses a war analogy, which they all would have gotten, would have all understood at that time. Well, yeah, that makes sense. You, I, I, if a I, if Kingdom is winning ground. The king doesn't send his army to fight his own army to maintain that ground or to take that ground back from himself. That absolutely doesn't make sense. Jesus says a royal house, he's talking about a royal house here, a house divided, a royal house divided will fail. This is a, a political analogy. Satan wouldn't do that. Satan wouldn't uh, take and, and, and kill his kid his kids if they were following him he wouldn't this jesus said y'all y'all come at me with this this answer this idea but it just doesn't make sense let's just go back to c.s lewis if we come to jesus with this idea that he's some nice guy that taught some good things occasionally lewis is saying it doesn't make sense you've got to come down to one of these three he's either crazy because he thinks he's God. Or he's a liar. He didn't do these things that he said he did. Or, in the case of the scribes here, he did them by the power of Satan. Of course, like I said earlier, they were right. Right that he did it. And they were also right that Satan wouldn't do his own stuff. But they just didn't realize what they were saying. They didn't realize that they were saying Satan was losing right? He's casting out demons. We know he's casting out demons. Therefore, Satan's losing. But what they were saying was, Satan's losing because of Satan, not because of God. They, they knew Satan was losing, but because it was Jesus, they couldn't give him credit, give God credit. And while he is losing, now this isn't the scribes, this is us, we read this passage and we see and with the next passage we hear from Jesus Satan is losing but he's not gone. Satan's losing but he hasn't lost all his power. By what Jesus says in verse 26 If Satan opposes himself and is divided he cannot stand is but is finished. Satan's not finished, is he? Because Jesus is still casting out demons. All right, so, so, so put on your, 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 your thinking brain, your, your, your logic brain here for just a second, and think through this. If, Jesus is, if demons are being cast out, if it were by the power of Satan, Satan wouldn't have any power anymore. That's what Jesus is saying. If he were doing this, he'd be finished. The kingdom can't survive. A kingdom will fail if it's fighting against itself. A house will fail if it's fighting against itself. Satan doing these things to himself and Satan would be, would be Satan finished. And yet you still see demon-possessed people, right? That's, that's what he's asking the scribes. He's not finished, is he? So your logic's bad there, number one. If Satan were fighting himself, he'd be done. He's not done. So, in that case... Verse 27. This is where the real power comes from, Jesus says. Not lunatic, not liar, but Lord. Verse 27, but if no one but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house. It's it's an interesting, it's a parable. And following on the heels of this talk of Satan fighting himself and demons being cast out by demons, you, you I've always sort of read that as, then the strong man here is, who is Who's breaking into the strong man's house? Is Satan breaking into the strong? I struggled with this verse. I mean, it was like, just following on the heels of this, it didn't seem really clear to me well since we're talking about where the real power is coming from we need to see that demons are cast out based on this verse because jesus is stronger than satan not working for satan the kingdom of satan is losing ground because the kingdom of god has come in jesus satan had all this ground he had gained in the war but he didn't He's not losing this ground, sending his own people to fight again. It is God's kingdom coming in, and he is losing ground to God's kingdom. Now, what does that look like in this one-verse parable? He says, no one can enter the strong man's house. In this case, the strong man is Satan. Jesus says, nobody can get into Satan's house. Nobody can get into Satan's possessed people. Nobody can get into their hearts, their souls, wherever Satan possesses them no one can do that uh can come into satan's world bigger than just the people we're told that this the world is satan's domain he's the prince of empowers of, of, prince of the powers of the air this is what he controls within god's control this is where his realm is this is where, where he is doing his battle And no one can come into the strong man, Satan's, house, the world. No one being Jesus. Because Jesus didn't mean no one. Remember, there's a condition to it. Unless he is stronger. Jesus is no one. Now, that's a wonderful clip to take out of context sometime this week. I was at church, and and, and Michael said Jesus was no one. Hold on. In our parable, Jesus is no one. Jesus is saying, no, nobody can, right? Jesus can. He says, I can. I'm the no one that can do this. I'm the no one that can break into the house, break into, to, can bind the strong man, Satan, can take the possessions of Satan, the demon possessed, and can plunder them, can cast out those demons. And you know why I do it? Because I am strong enough to bind Satan. Jesus is stronger than Satan. Is he a liar? No. Is he a lunatic? No. He's Lord. He's Lord of everything. He is even Lord of Satan. And that's what he says in verse 28. He never says, I'm not a lunatic or a liar. I'm Lord. He just tells the stories and we go... Oh, clearly, because in verse 28, if it's not Satan, if he's not a liar, if he's not crazy, then verse 28, truly I tell you, people will be forgiven all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, now wait a minute, nobody's mentioned the Holy Spirit, nobody said the Holy Spirit couldn't do anything, Jesus, we said you couldn't. Nobody said the Holy Spirit wasn't powerful enough. We said you weren't, and you're doing it by Satan's power. And he says, you're exactly right. And by claiming that, you are claiming that the Holy Spirit doesn't have the power. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit does. That's how I do it. Because I'm Lord. I do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mark has not talked too much other than at baptism we see a picture of the Trinity Mark doesn't, hasn't tried to spell it out and won't to any great degree. But what we know is that Jesus doesn't just have the Holy Spirit. He is the, third, the second person of the Trinity. He is God the Son, God in the flesh, God incarnate. And the scribes come and say, well, the work you're doing is Satan. It is Satan's work and Satan's power. And he says, to do that is to reject me. If you ascribe what the Holy Spirit is doing, then you are rejecting Jesus. Here's what that looks like. Only the Holy Spirit can draw the sinner to salvation. No one who has trusted Jesus as Savior has ever done so on their own volition, by their own power. Yes, you heard the message. Yes, the gospel was preached to you. Yes, you responded to the gospel. But Scripture tells us no man comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws him. You responded to the drawing of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit when you came to Jesus. So if you were to sit back and say, "Well, the Holy Spirit's work, Jesus' work, that's of Satan, you are denying that the Holy Spirit would draw you. You're saying, well, that's Satan's work. And too many of us have done that. To say the Holy Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit's work, is of Satan is to deny that Jesus can save. Because you're saying Jesus' work is of Satan. A equals A. For you math people, the work of Jesus equals the work of the Holy Spirit, two persons of the Trinity. You've got to go there. So, to deny the Holy Spirit is to deny Jesus. And that's what the scribes did. So, when Jesus says in verse 30 or verse 29 But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin is guilty, uh, is subject to eternal judgment is another way to put that. He's telling the scribes, you're done. You have committed the unpardonable sin. See, let's go back to verse 28 and the beauty of verse 28. What in verse 28 will not be forgiven nothing nothing there isn't a sin let's put it positively people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies so we could even and maybe this is where Jesus is saying he's not a lunatic could it be that Jesus is saying, yeah, it's blasphemy for my people, my family, to call me a lunatic? I would feel that way about you. You call Jesus a lunatic. I'm going to go, oh, that's pretty blasphemous. That can be forgiven. His family will be forgiven. James, one of his brothers, will end up being the head of the church in Jerusalem after the resurrection, through the book of Acts, as we read through there. They will be forgiven. Jesus says that. Every sin you commit will be forgiven. With the scribes, though, this wasn't confusion. It wasn't misunderstanding, both of which are forgivable. This wasn't searching, which is understandable, but this was repeated, determined denial. It was a continual, habitual action or attitude. They had decided not to follow Jesus. Kind of messes up the song. I have decided to not follow Jesus. That's, that's what they would sing, so to be a little angrier. Can you be a true follower of Jesus and commit the sin that he's talking about here? Nope. You can't. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have already admitted the Holy Spirit's power. You've already admitted Jesus' power. Can you be confused about things? Well, that doesn't look like... yeah. Can you be uncertain about things? Well, I don't know about that. Yeah. And all those sins, and even blasphemies, will be forgiven. But can you be a church member, but not a true follower of Jesus and ascribe the work of the Holy Spirit in your church, in the lives of church people, to Satan because you don't like the preacher or the staff or the people of the church or the direction of the church or the way things go at the church? Yes. You can sit in a chair in a church every week and be lost and commit the sin of giving Jesus Satan's power instead of God's and that won't be forgiven and why won't it be forgiven because you're not a follower of Jesus it's really simple the sin that can't be forgiven is never accepting Jesus as savior that sin will not be forgiven you see why because you never accepted forgiveness of your sins through salvation in Jesus Christ See, this this is a heart decision. Go back to our big idea. Because he can't be written off as irrelevant or unimportant, every person must decide in his or her heart whether Jesus is lunatic, liar, or Lord. This is a heart decision, not a head decision. This isn't mental assent to what Jesus says about himself, that is important. We don't have an illogical faith. We don't have a faith without thought, without intellect. You come to the Bible, and you can ask the Bible strong, hard, intellectual questions, and it will answer them. But to give mental assent is not enough. You can even agree with the idea of Jesus as The Son of God, sure. But until you make the heart decision and believe by faith, you aren't saved. Until you trust Jesus for salvation. And let me go back to verse 29 one more time. All your sins are forgiven. So don't sit here and think, well, Michael, you don't know what I've done. I mean, you can think that because you'd be right. I don't. Jesus does, and he died for you anyway. God knows what you've done, and yet this morning the gospel message is presented to you for you to respond to. The question is, what is your response? Is your response well that just sounds like more, I don't know, carnival circus, give my heart to Jesus. G- that just that doesn't sound right. Are you ascribing the drawing of the Holy Spirit to Something besides the Holy Spirit? Or when you feel the tug, when you hear the gospel message, do you respond in faith? When you feel the leading of sal- to the salvation and you resist, you are denying the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But when you hear, maybe you have heard, or maybe you're hearing again, For the first time, the message of Jesus, and you want to respond. If you don't respond today, you are still making a decision. You are relegating Jesus to either lunatic or liar. And it doesn't matter which one you choose, because they both lead to hell. Your choice this morning is clear. Mark makes it clear. He's not a lunatic. He's, he's not crazy. There's a goal, a purpose, a mission what he was called to. He wasn't called to his family. He was called to the world. He's not a liar. Because if he worked by the power of Satan, Satan would be defeated. Because you can't work against yourself and win. You'd be finished. Instead, you can see Satan's kingdom fall, which means he is working for, of a, from a power outside of Satan, but if he is working against Satan and winning, then that thing, that power, must be more powerful than Satan, which could only be God. So he's not a liar. Then why haven't you trusted him yet as Lord? Why haven't you believed on him for salvation? Today is that day. Today is that choice. Quick gospel message. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gospel. So, not a moral teacher, not a lunatic, not a liar. He's Lord, so what do I do? You're a sinner, but all your sins can be, be forgiven. You're a blasphemer. All your blasphemies can be forgiven because God has given the gift of eternal life. Not just to everybody, because there is an unpardonable sin. The rejection of Jesus. So, your wages of sin is death. The gift from God is eternal life. And it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Will you place that faith today? Not write him off, not put him on the irrelevant pile, not put him on the lunatic pile, and not put him on the liar pile, but say, I want to make you Lord of my life. If you do, you have a next step to take. You want to follow him, take up your cross, leave your life, and follow him. We talk about coming down front, we talk about praying a prayer, uh, we talk about baptism, all of those things are good. One of them, baptism, is necessary. But it's not necessary for salvation. Salvation happens right there where you're sitting in your heart. When you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. It's a prayer, right? But it doesn't have to be certain words. I'm a sinner and I want you to save me. The, the tax collector's prayer in one of the Gospels was have mercy on me, a sinner. That's a saving prayer. And that might be your prayer this morning. The prayer that gets you to take up your cross and follow him. And then once you do, yes, we're, we baptize. Our first obedience, our public profession of our faith. That's baptism. We we submit to God. That's taking up our cross, our conforming our life to Him. That is following Him, joining this this church, joining a local body of believers. That is coming together as the body, which Corinthians tells us to do. But that is a decision you have to make right now as the Holy Spirit draws you. What will you do, do with that decision? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you draw. Thank you that you work. Thank you that you do. Thank you that you save. Thank you that you forgive all our sins, all our blasphemies. Thank you that the Holy Spirit still works. And Lord, I pray, though I can't know the heart, I pray that there's no one here That has so hardened their heart that they would ascribe the work of the Holy Spirit to the work of the devil. Whether it's the evil or the lesser of two evils. That they would ascribe what's going on in the hearts of other people and in their own heart to the Holy Spirit. To the work that He is doing in this place and in these hearts. Lord God, we pray for a response, that no one leaves here having relegated Jesus to liar or lunatic. Even if they say, well, I don't want to be that harsh, it doesn't matter. The end result of hell is the same. Lord, may we see people respond in faith and make Jesus Lord. He's already Lord. But Lord, may we see people make him Lord of their lives. Follow him and believe on him for salvation. We pray for a work of your Holy Spirit this morning, throughout this place, in Jesus' name, amen. I'll be down here to my front, uh, to my right on the front. Chelsea will be here to my left. Two of our deacons, one of our deacons, Lee, uh, will be in the back. Justin's upstairs this morning, so he won't make it. If you'd like to pray with somebody, like for someone to pray with you, if you'd like to share a decision, or if you'd like to come up here and just give something to the Lord right here, make an altar out of this stage, feel free to do it. As we stand, worship, and sing, share with us what the Lord is doing in your life. Do business with Him as we sing today.